But as we as we turn this morning into the sermon, as we, we continue with the gospel according to David, as this is going to be the last week that, that we have for this, as we come back from Memorial Day, um, Lord's leading us to, to go into an, another area. Uh, but I've enjoyed speaking about David, speaking about the life that he lived, about the parallels between his life and the decisions he made and things that he did, and, and many with Christ and the gospel message in the New Testament, even there present in the Old Testament, thousands of years before Jesus even came and walked upon this earth, David, uh, many ways there's many similarities and we can begin to see the path and the plan that God had for for Christ when he came and walked upon this earth but this morning we're going to be reading from 2nd Samuel chapter 11 verses 1 through 4 so 2nd Samuel chapter 11 verses 1 through 4 if I was to title today's sermon it would be what how did I get here and what do I do now all right some of you older folks know exactly what I'm talking about right you woke up and you walked to the room. How did I get here and, and what do I do now? You forgot completely what it was that you were looking for when you walked into the room. So you just go back and sit down remember again and have to crank yourself back up out of your seat to get there and get that. But no, we're, we're going to be talking about this in just a moment. You'll understand a little bit more about what that, that statement means. But as you're turning there, I, I, I want to give this illustration to set, set the states kind of. And, you all know that, that I'm a, a sports fan. I, I, any kind of sport I, I really love. I mean, football, you know, soccer, anything. And, and baseball is one of the ones that I've more recently in the past couple of years begun to enjoy with the Atlanta Braves. Tennessee baseball is the number one team in the country right now. So I'm enjoying that sport. But, but a term that's used in baseball is a perfect game, okay? And in baseball, a perfect game is when the imposing team has zero hitters reach a base in the entirety of the nine-inning game, Right? During the 150-year history of MLB, Major League Baseball, there's only been 23 perfect games pitched. Out of the two, over 218,000 games, 23 perfect games have been hit. Not just no hitters, perfect games. And no pitcher has ever pitched more than one. So there's 23 individuals, some dead, some still alive, that have done this, this act. All right? Pitching a perfect game is, is unheard of. But it is possible to have a perfect game. It's been done very few times, but it is possible. A perfect person, though, is impossible to find that. No matter how much you read in history, no matter how far, how many books you, you, you just go through to you know, all the kings and all the leaders, even priests and, and religious and theologians and leaders in those areas, no matter who you read about, their biographies, their autobiographies, even the best most un, most biased representation of who that person is, you will find flaws in every person that's ever walked upon this earth besides Christ. We know that, right? And even though David was a good man, that reality is still true in the scripture that, gonna, that we're going to read today. Okay? So this is 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. So it says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on, out, walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And then David sent messengers and took her. She came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to, the, her, to her house. This is 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Okay? Let me set the stage a little bit more for how this continues. 
this happens. She sends him a letter soon after this saying, I'm with child. My, my husband's away in war. You're the only option for the daddy. David sends word to Joab, the general of, of David's uh, of David's army, and, and says, send me Uriah the Hittite. Send him back here. Uriah shows up, and, and David you know, kind of begins to applaud him, asks how things are going on the front line, and he says, you've had a long journey. He said, you know, go go home, wash your feet, as the term is used. But says when David woke up the next morning, he finds that Uriah never left the palace. He slept at David's door with all the other servants to protect David, to be at David's beck and call to help David in whatever way that David needed. And David, David brought your eye again and again. He said, he said, buddy, go home. He said, go be with your wife. Go be at home. Eat at your own table. Sleep in your own bed. That kind of thing. And, and your eye said, Joab and all of, my, all of the servants, all, all the ones that I fight with, all the ones that I go to war with, they, they sleep in tents out on the battlefield. They, they, they lay their life down on the line to, to fight and to protect. Who am I? Why should I be able to go home and sleep in my own bed? He said, I'll sleep here at your door until you send me back. David pens a letter to Joab. He tells Joab, he says, Uriah the Hittite, put it at the front lines. And then when war strikes, when the heat of the battle comes, have everybody else step back so that Uriah would die. Uriah takes this letter back to Joab. Joab reads it and they go to battle. Joab goes into a place of battle that would not was not advisable, if you understand the scripture. It wasn't a battle that Joab would have picked out for himself as winnable, as desirable, as what he would have done as the general if he hadn't got this letter. And they go and he puts your eye out the front of the lines. And they go and the heat of the battle comes. They're at the, the gates, we understand from history. And they begin to shoot down and throw stones over and attack. And they're, they're, they're in a bad situation. It's an unwinnable thing. And Uriah, not only Uriah, but many of David's soldiers die in this battle. So Joab goes after the battle. He survives. And he writes a letter to um, back to David and basically explains the situation. We've had great losses. You know, we, Things didn't go well. And he told the messenger, he said, but when David gets angry, tell him, but Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger goes back, begins to explain the situation to David, and ends with, Uriah the Hittite has perished, is dead. There's no longer with us. And it says that David goes, takes Bathsheba into his home as his wife, and that's the end of the chapter. We understand that after that, though, that they go to have the son. When the son is born, it perishes in, in, in birth. And, and we have this whole thing where eventually David sees what's going on, okay? But what I want us to understand from, from this story is that uh, this first point is that none of us are never too good to not sin. That no matter how good we are, how grand we are, we will still fall. Think for a second of all the accomplishments and victories that occurred during David's life. Just over the past few weeks as we've studied, we've seen that he was anointed to be king at a young age by Samuel. Samuel said, this is the one that God has chosen, that he has spoken for, to be the king over my people. And then we go and we see that David, as he gets a little older, he goes into battle and and destroys one of the the greatest threats to all of Israel at that time and, and kills the champion of the Philistines, Goliath. And then later we understand that that he, through his actions and decisions, some bad, some good, but he ultimately brought the Ark of the Covenant, after he had been away from Jerusalem, brought it back into Jerusalem and began to establish the worship as as it should be. And that's not including all the other things that David did. 
David fought many a battle for Israel. The Bible says that they begin to sing songs that Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. David had, had many accolades in battle. He was a great and fierce warrior. He was mighty in battle. There's men that wouldn't follow anybody else followed David into battle. He took just 40 men and did things that regiments of soldiers could not do with David and his 40 mighty men. He did amazing things in that way. He went and he went through the situation and handled the situation with Saul properly and did things and eventually rose to the throne. And that's just his physical things. Then if you look at his spiritual walk with God, he was given the moniker as a man after God's own heart. He helped reestablish and strengthen the worship of God in Jerusalem. And he set up this whole path for Jesus Christ to come through. David did awesome and mighty things. All those things that he did, the actions, the facts about his life are true. And documented in Scripture and through other uh, Israel writing, Israelites' writings and things like that and their history. But even though all those things are true, we still have this segment, this sequence of events in David's life where he commits these awful sins against God. He goes and commits adultery with another man's wife. He then has, through deception, has, has her husband killed, hides it, lies about it, does all these things, and then takes her as his own wife. This man that was so good and had done so many good things got this point. You know, some of you may look at that, look at all the good that he did, and see that he still ended up in this sinful place, doing these awful things. And may think, if David himself couldn't live a perfect life, what hope do I have in doing that? The truth is, you don't have it. Not one of us has any hope of living a perfect life. No matter how good we if we've been raised in church, if we were a pastor's kid and, and we're in ministry and we do everything right, or if you just come into church the first day when you know, you're older in your life, no matter where you've been or how you've lived your life or where you come from, you can't be perfect. You have no hope of accomplishing that in your life. Because reality is, in this life, you will never completely escape sin and temptation. You'll never be good enough to not sin. And that's that's the facts. And that might seem depressing and that might might seem hard, but that's the that's what we should look at and understand that hey, that's okay. We can look at the life of David and the sins that we may have may not be as grandiose and, and magnificent as what David did. We might not commit adultery. We might not have a man killed. We might not do these things. We we might not bring scorn to the whole nation of Israel. We might not do those those things, but you will still find your place in a season in life in the middle of disobedience at certain times. For you are not following God's desire for your life, God's plan, His instructions, and you have you sin. Now this doesn't mean you should embrace your sinfulness. It doesn't mean that we should just stop resisting the sinful urges that we have in our life. I'm not saying that in any way. In fact, it should invigorate us, should strengthen us, should encourage us to do more to combat the sin that we are faced with, that we struggle with. Knowing that I can't do this in my own power should help me to, to, to go and seek to live a life that be pleasing to God where I uh, forsake as much of it as I, I can. Because if, something, if stumbling into sin is something that we will have to deal with at certain points in our life, 
then what we what are we supposed to do about that? How are we supposed to handle that? What are we supposed to do? And this is what I came to, and we'll see how David didn't follow this at all. That we must be vigilant in watching out for certain things that are temptations, certain seasons, certain situations, and circumstances that would lead us astray, lead us into bad places, uh, into, into doing things that aren't pleasing to God. But not only should we be vigilant, but we should also seek to recognize when we have sinned, and as soon as we've recognized it, move to rectify it. Rectify it just means to fix it, to to patch it, to do better about it, to to turn away from it. You know, all kinds of ways that you could you can express that. But we must recognize our sin as quickly as possible and then move to rectify it. David did neither of these things. We can see in the scripture that he wasn't vigilant. We can also see that he didn't recognize his sin, or if he did, he didn't move to rectify it very quickly. So what does that mean? What does that look like for us? Well, let's talk about the dominoes, okay? Because what I've realized, and what you probably realize, is that getting to a place that David was in this moment to do these kind of things, to sin, to commit adultery, to commit murder, to, to fraud in, in, your, in your company, to do something awful at school, whatever it may be, it doesn't just happen like that. It just doesn't happen overnight. It's just not something you wake up and it's like, I'm feeling froggy today. I want to go kill somebody. Or I, I'm feeling just fine and, and as a frog hair split five ways and I want to go commit fraud and, and steal from my company or steal from my parents or, or steal this car from the neighbor. I, I just feel like it's a good day to do something like that. It's not how that usually happens. If it does, you know, we can talk. We'll sit down. We'll, you know, we'll try to we'll pray through those things, okay? But more often than not, instead of it just happening in a moment, twinkling eyes, or something like that, it's a series of events and decisions that brings us to that dark place. And the same was true with David. David did all these wonderful things in his life, had followed God closely, had done what God had wanted him to. It wasn't like just one day he woke up and decided, I'm going to throw all that away, I'm going to push all that aside, everything I've lived my life for, everything I've done to try to be pleasing in God. Today I'm just going to, I'm just going to go my own way. That wasn't what happened. It was through a series of events and decisions that David made that led him to this place where he was acceptable and vulnerable, and he did these things. Okay. So real quick, let's go back to the scripture that we read. If you still got your finger there, look at it. But I want to go back here. Okay. We're going to read it again. And this time, I want us to pay close attention to the things that David did. Okay. So we're going to look for the verbs. Okay. Everybody know what a verb is? A verb is an action word. A verb entails action. Okay. So we're going to look for the actions. It happened in the spring, so we're not, that's not talking about David. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent, so he sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon. David didn't do this. Joab did. The people of Ammon and besieged, and besieged Rabbah. But David, what did he do? Remained. Okay, we can do a little better than that. We'll do next. At Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David, what he arose from his bed and walked onto the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he... Saw, good job, we're working A woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Okay, so we see the scene setting up here. We see his actions. He, he goes, he sends Joab, and he remains. He doesn't go, but he sends somebody else to do what he's supposed to do, right? So then he goes, <clears throat> he gets up, he gets into a bad place, you know. We don't know if he knew that Sheba was there, but he put himself in a situation where if he had been going here, he wouldn't have been walking upon the roof, right? So he's up on the roof, and then he sees something. We get in that situation. We see something we shouldn't have seen. We're someplace we shouldn't have been. Something happens. 
So here's why it continues, okay? So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, as she was cleansed, uh, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. So the key ones I want to point out there is remained, saw, inquired, took, and lay. Do you see the dominoes that fell? Do you see the progression of how David's actions led to the end result? It didn't start with lay. It didn't start with he took her. It started with he remained. What we can see from that is is that David's path of sin started like many of ours do in that he was forsaking a God-given responsibility in his life. In our lives, maybe that responsibility is to our own family. As parents, we're given responsibility to our children. As husbands, we're given responsibility to our wife. As, as wives, we're given responsibility to our husbands, so on and so forth. Responsibility to certain parents in different situations and things like that, depending on the family dynamic. And you have that God-given responsibility. Maybe that God-given responsibility is, is to your relationship with Christ. He's called you to follow Him. He's called you to seek after Him. He's called you to be His disciples. He's called you to read the Word, to pray, to worship Him. Maybe that responsibility has been to your church, to, to be there, to serve in your community, to, to help those that are in need, to, to come into His presence and to His house and give Him the glory that He is deserving of. But, but a lot of times our sin begins when we forsake and leave behind and ignore some God-given responsibility in our life. See, it was David's responsibility as king, the king that he was anointed to be when he was just a young, rudy boy, the king that he was called to be, by handpicked by God. He was called to be king and to lead his people, to fight the battles for them, to go out and do what nobody else would do. And we see that actively as he goes out against Goliath. But here we are. And that responsibility that he once had and he once took seriously, now he sends somebody else to do it. And he remains at home. Whatever it is, when we ignore our God-given responsibilities in exchange for our own gratification, we put ourselves at risk of taking more steps in the wrong direction. It's very easy to do one thing that isn't following in, our, in God's given responsibility or God-given calling in our life and then do another thing that doesn't align with that and another thing that doesn't align with that. And we continue to make those decisions. And oftentimes the first one was the hardest. But for some reason, David decided, I'm going to stay here. We'll send Joab out to fight those battles. And out of that came all the different things that destroyed this, made this point in David's life probably the lowest point in his life. Here's, though, where the things really went south. And if you don't get anything else from this sermon, this is the point that I want you to really, really understand. To take home, to consume, to write down in your Bible or put in your phone or whatever it is and, and understand this point, okay? Because this is the main thing of the, of the sermon. This is the main thing of, of what this scripture, I feel like it's what God wants us to learn today. Is that all this happened? David, for, David didn't follow off after God's, the God-given responsibility that he had been given. But here's the thing where he really failed at. 
And that's that David stayed on that roof. So we go here, and he goes up on the roof, and he sees Bathsheba bathing. She's thinking she's beautiful. What does he do? So David sent and inquired. He didn't get off that roof to even inquire. He stayed on there and sent somebody else to ask what's going on here. The greatest failure that we can have is knowing we'll sin and we'll make mistakes and we'll fall short and we'll do the wrong thing and we'll be disobedient to God and the flesh will come out and our carnal nature will win out sometimes. But the worst thing you can do is do what David did and not stop when you recognize it. Because what we need to learn to do is we might not be able to win every battle that we face. We might not be able to overcome every temptation that we come against. But we need to learn how to recognize when we've sinned and change then. David didn't stop when he remained at Jerusalem. He didn't stop when he saw her. He didn't stop after he inquired. He didn't stop after he sent for her. He didn't stop when he took her, and he didn't stop when he laid with her. He continued to let his sin progress. Instead of recognizing that he shouldn't have been up there and just turning around and leaving, he stayed. Instead of realizing that, hey, he had lust in his heart for this woman and going and rebuking that sin and going and praying or finding the, the, the prophet or the priest at that time and, and having that conversation, hey, I, I'm, this is a struggle with me. Instead of doing that, he stayed and he continued to lust. And he lusted more and more and began to ask questions. Instead of just turning tail and saying, I should have never stayed in Jerusalem in the first place, putting on his armor and going out to fight the battles that he was supposed to fight and follow that responsibility, he stayed on that roof. If he just would have not stayed, then the sin would have stopped with the lust that he had in his heart. And he could have went and prayed and dealt with that. But he continued to allow sin to direct him and get, make, his, make his path go from there. In our lives, like I said, you're going to sin. I don't want to be the pastor that tells you you should never sin again once you've been saved. You will sin. I sin. Often, I make mistakes. Sometimes it's what the world may consider big sins. Sometimes it's what the world considers little sins. But sin is sin. I sin. You sin. We all sin. We all make mistakes. And we all fall short. And we all do things that we shouldn't do. And that honestly is displeasing to God. And that He doesn't desire for us to do. But we make it worse by staying there. By not removing ourselves from the situation. When we recognize that we've done the wrong thing. When we recognize that we've, we've done something that we shouldn't have do, done. When we recognize we've been disobedient. When we recognize that we're in sin, we stay there. We stay there. Knowing that we can never fully escape sin in this life, what we must do is recognize our sin when we fall and stop as soon as we do. So I don't know if David didn't recognize that he sinned, or if he just decided that it wasn't a big deal that he'd sinned. But either way, he continued along the path that he shouldn't have been on. He shouldn't have started it in the first place. But he made it worse by not turning around and repenting and removing himself from that situation. So what do we do after we recognize our sin and stop sinning? 
Because it's one thing to recognize it. It's one thing to stop. Have you ever watched the spy movies? Okay, I don't know. I've not watched very many 007 movies, but I've seen certain spy movies. Spy Kids is what I watched growing up, okay? That was cool. That was fun. Um, you go into this, I don't know, going to, to steal the diamond or whatever you're going to do, and, and a lot of times they portray, you, you put a puff of mist out, and then it shows all these little red wires, or little red lasers that were there that you couldn't see before, okay? And, and the real good trope that they use is you've got somebody walking, and all of a sudden they see the, la- the laser, and somebody tells them to stop, and they're just standing like that, right? If you just stop like that, you, 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 most times what happens in the movie, somebody sneezes, and they fall, and their foot hits the laser, and all the alarms go off, and it's the same thing that happens. If all you do is recognize you sinned and you stop, that's only going so far, but there's another thing that God desires for us to do. Once we recognize our sin and once we stop, we must realize that we need to seek forgiveness and that forgiveness is always available. Let me clarify this real quick, though. Because sometimes we might get this a little mixed up. You know, as Christians here at New Canaan, our belief and our understanding is that once we've been saved, we cannot lose that salvation. Call it eternal salvation, call it you know grace, whatever you want to call it. That's our belief. That this gift has been given, once we receive that gift, that it cannot be still stolen or taken away in any way, fashion, or form. But I think sometimes that we get a little bit of that, we misunderstand it. Just because... That's our interpretation of Scripture, and that, that's how we understand it, and that's what we believe. That doesn't mean that, one, it, it precludes us from sinning. We will still sin. Just because you've received the eternal gift of salvation does not mean that you will not sin. But it also doesn't mean that you should never ask forgiveness again. And I feel like a lot of times people think that, oh, because I'm saved to the uttermost, that my, my salvation is secure, I don't ever have to ask for forgiveness again. And that's not what God teaches us. He teaches us that we should continually seek this forgiveness as we fail. And though God's love for us is unmoved, we talked about love today in Sunday school as Mark taught, though it's unmoved when we fail or we disobey Him, forgiveness is a central part of our relationship with Him and of our own growth in our walk with Him to ask for forgiveness when we have wronged Him, when we have messed up, when we have failed Him, it is our responsibility to then ask forgiveness for those things. Because, see, our sin, what it does is once we're saved, when it comes into our life and it creates friction between us and God. Because in the beginning of time, it was sin that first put division between God and man. Now, Jesus has healed that wound, but our new, fresh sin causes that friction between our relationship with Him where it's not as smooth as it once was. We're, we're in conflict with what He wants us to do, what He's calling us to do with the Holy Spirit moving within us and convicting us for our sins. There's that friction. And oftentimes we see that when sin enters into our life, we begin to lose access to certain benefits that God desires for our life. You talk to some people that are, are Christians that go to church that have been saved, but then maybe they're in a season of, of sinful living. And, and a lot of times they'll speak of not having the peace that they once had. Not being able to sleep at night. Not having the joy that they once were filled with. Everything looking dire and, and, and depressing and sad because they're not filled with that joy because they know they knew what it was like to be in a right relationship with Christ. And now there's that distance. And there's that friction and that joy that they once had 
isn't like there like it used to be. So this is what sin does to the saved person. It creates that friction between us and God. And you might go through your life in relationship with God and be completely okay with that friction. And you might think you'll be okay without the peace and without the joy that He gives. But I know for myself, I miss it when I'm, when I'm in a sinful place. When I've done wrong against God, when I've disobeyed Him, and there's that friction comes into play. And I'm not, I don't have the peace that I used to have. Or I don't have the joy in my life that I did, the, did a few days ago when I was living the right life. I miss that. And I want it to come back. And if you begin continue to read David's story, in, in, in Samuel, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel Chronicles, we see the history of it, right? We see what happens, what goes on. But David writes in Psalms, about his experiences and his emotional state during this time. And you read, and you know, there, there's some discussion on, on what psalm was written closest to this interaction, what happened. But but a lot of the ones that they point to talks about, about sadness and brokenness and heartache and pain and suffering and and, and, and just being angry at themselves and, and, and wondering what can happen. What will, will things be okay and what's going to happen from here? And, and you read these psalms and you don't see peace. And you don't see joy because at that time there was sin in David's life. And many of us have experienced that season where we've allowed sin to get between us and God. It's not destroyed our relationship with Him. It's not broken that bond. But like I've said before, there's friction and then it's thinned. It's distant. And that shouldn't be our desire as Christians. Once you know the closeness and the goodness of God, it should be our desire to be closer every day and to not grow distant from Him. So what we can do and what we are called to do during this time is what 1 John chapter 1, 19, or chapter 1 verse 9 says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. There's never a question if God will forgive us. Because in truth, once we are saved, He's forgiven us everything I had done, everything I will do. He knows my whole life. Right? So forgiveness isn't necessarily just because God wants us to for His sake. Forgiveness is really for my sake. He's forgave me for my sins, knowing all that I'd, I'd done. But the reason God directs us to seek this forgiveness, even, uh, even once we have been saved, is so that it reminds us how desperately we need forgiveness in our life. It reminds us that no matter how good of a person I am, it reminds David that no matter how much you've done, David, no matter how good you've been in this life, no matter all the things in the boxes that you've checked up, you can still fail, David. You can still come short. You still need my forgiveness. You still need my presence. You still need me. And that's why we need to seek forgiveness when we have done wrong. Not to appease God, but for our own sake. To be reminded how much we need Christ the Savior in our life. Because it's easy sometimes. No doubt David got to a point in his point in his life. He'd won so many battles. He'd done so many great things. He, he, he'd conquered so many lands and destroyed so many people on the battlefield. And he was praised and he was glorified and he was lifted up. Here is David, the king that we were looking for when we were asking for Saul. The king that rivals any other king in the surrounding areas. This is the king that we'll write about in all of our history. That everybody will know about. King David. He's the real king here. No doubt he got to a point where it's like, I can do things my way. 
I can do things the way I see fit. Listen to how they praise me. Listen to how well things are going. Israel's never been as prosperous as it is right now. Israel's never had access to the things that it does right now. Israel's not been as large as it is. Our boundaries push and go past far beyond what anybody's ever dreamed of. And I'm the king. And at this point, David forgot about what it was like to be outside watching the sheep as Samuel went through all of his brothers up in Jesse's house and said, not you, not you, not you. And Samuel asked, isn't there another? And instead of David being left out and understanding what it meant to be not taken seriously, now he thought that he could do no wrong. And he was reminded in this moment, David, you're not where you're at without God. You're not where you're at without His strength, without His goodness, without His, without everything that He's doing. In the next chapter we see Nathan, the prophet of God. We'll close with this. Nathan comes in and he tells a, he gives a parable basically to David. And, and, and through that parable, David realizes his sin. He finally recognizes it. Whatever, you know, through that story and everything. And David tells Nathan, he says, I've sinned against God. I failed him. I've come short. I messed up. And Nathan says, Yeah, David, you have. But God has already forgiven you of this. But it was through that season that David was reminded. And it's through our sin and the, the fresh renewal of us seeking forgiveness from Christ, not to appease him, but to help ourselves, that we recognize we are fallible and broken. Messed up people, no matter how good we do in life, no matter how well you were raised, in the best situation, in the best home, no matter how good your job is, no matter how good your marriage is, no matter how good your kids are, no matter how many days you come to church, no matter how many hours you spend in prayer, no matter how many books of the Bibles you've read and how many times you read the Bible over, you'll sin and you'll fail and you'll mess up because you are human and you are carnal. You are made of flesh. And sin feeds on us. But we can be reminded. And we can be strengthened and encouraged by the fact that I'm not doing it alone. I need Jesus. I need Jesus when I'm doing right. I need Jesus when I'm doing wrong. I need Jesus to lead and guide and direct me in every point of my life. And I pray that, that you are reminded of that today. We'll go into summer, and summer is, everything goes great in summer, right? We go on vacations, the weather's nice, we get free time, more free time than we normally do. The kids are at home, you know, there's usually not as many activities. There's a little bit more, things just seem great in summer. In winter, when things are cold and things are weary and things like that, we can, we realize we need Jesus a little bit more then. When things are bad, we realize we need Jesus. But in summer, it's really easy to forget, oh yeah, there's that Jesus there. There's that God there. I want you to be reminded that through every season of your life, through every point of your history, of your story, you need Jesus. You need His forgiveness, you need His grace, you need His love. And I pray that we don't forget that or fail to remember that.